0: On this episode of Quantum Week, June 28th through July 4th, 1992. Quantum Week! Quantum Week! Welcome to Quantum Week, I'm Matt. I'm Chris. (laughs) Quantum Week is a show in which Chris and I leap into a random week of a random year. We talk about movies, music, and headlines, and we're continuing our pathway through the end of June, 1992, with Sister Act and Breaking the Girl. That's right. Um, getting the Sister Act here? Yeah, I mean, it's wrong, is what it is. It's wrong? This fucking movie is wrong. <laughs> it's not good. It's, uh, a not, it's not a good movie. No. Um, you want to give your synopsis, and because it's... <sighs> Yeah, okay, so lounge singer, a lounge singer played by Whoopi Goldberg sees her mob boss boyfriend, played by Harvey Keitel, kill a dude, so she goes into witness protection uh, in a convent, in a nunnery, and teaches the choir to sing and modernize.
1: Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I think the main issue, and I'll talk about my main issue with the movie, I, I, obviously there's a lot of issues with the movie, but uh, yeah. my main issue with the movie is, is just the direction is so poor. Um, yeah yeah it's directed by emil Ardolino. it's the same guy who directed uh dirty dancing that's right yeah yeah he, had a, he and, just had a few he died young he died a year after this from aids so yeah um this movie was a huge hit though this was just like dirty dancing was you know but this was made more money i believe but uh was a bigger movie dirty dancing was kind of a surprise. that was not supposed to be a hit it no, no no no, no yeah this this was kind of supposed to be a hit um because you know you have Whoopi Goldberg coming off Ghost, right? And then you, you know you do have you know Harvey Keitel, Maggie Smith. You know Maggie Smith. You know she won two Oscars. You know, yeah, you right. Got that? Uh, and had been, I think nominated like seven times, but I think only six at that point. But regardless, you know six still. Yeah, know, yeah. And then Harvey Keitel. I mean, that's a legit. <laughs> Absolutely. And then you have you know Whoopi Goldberg who's coming off an Oscar. So.
0: Um, and yet, this movie is just directed so poorly. It's really bad, and a lot of it. The problem that I have a lot of it is completely unbelievable. It's it's like no no one would act this way. None of this stuff would happen. None of it would happen.
1: No. The, the other so all right. So there's two core issues that make this movie bad or not very good i don't know if it's a bad movie but it's certainly not a good one right and one issue is the direction so the direction the biggest flaw you see in the direction is when you're seeing the gangster stuff like the organized crime stuff right it's completely ridiculous like nothing makes any sense you're trying to have these two guys like harvey Keitel's henchmen appear to be like very scary and mean but they're cartoonish yeah, they the totally buffoons. So like, uh, so like, the
0: movie doesn't know if they want to be comic relief or if they're menacing. Exactly. And Harvey Keitel plays it over the top too. He's very, he's very like cartoonish as well. But the other two, they won't. They, they are have. They have an issue killing Whoopi because she's dressed in a nun outfit. It's like saying I won't kill this Halloween, this person who's dressed up for Halloween because I think they're actually a ghost. I mean, it's stupid.
1: And they knew Whoopi before she was yes. a nun. So that they know she's not a nun. They know that. They you totally know, know it. They, they, so, and, and that leads into the second problem with this movie is the script. So oh. this had an original, had original script. Um, it was written by Paul Rudnick. Right. Uh, and it went through so many passes that he actually, I think it had like seven or eight people actually basically reworked this, including yeah. Carrie Fisher. Yeah,
0: right, I saw that, yeah. And
1: this went through so many passes that I believe he took a pen name for
0: it when it at one point, absolutely right. It, it was like James something. He didn't want to, he didn't want to have his name on there.
1: Yeah. Cause it wasn't his work anymore. And anytime something gets filtered that much, what happens is you see it exactly in this movie where you see scenes that don't add up. So the first time we're introduced to these two henchmen, they are kind of menacing. They do kill yep. somebody in cold, in cold blood. They oh yeah. Them. Right. And you're, you're, so you know, that kind of sets up the hinge of the movie, which is Whoopi Goldberg has to escape these killers. By the end of the movie, they're, they're buffoons. They're the bad guys at Home Alone. And it's just like, all right, well, if they're that buffoonish, then there was really no threat. Therefore, Whoopi was never in danger. Therefore, the movie doesn't need to exist. Exactly. Why did you run
0: away from them? If they're no threat. Exactly. And that's yeah. what happens when you have seven people, you know, try to make a stew. I mean, it just doesn't work. And even the and- co- like even the cop, he wasn't he it's like he was not really he was laughing. He was like jovial. A lot of the times he's not really worried. He says he's worried about whoopee, but he's not taking anything serious. Nothing. He, he seemed to play the whole movie with like a wink. Like he did. Like, I'm not going to go full. Like, you know, it, it,
1: no one knew how to behave in this movie, except for Maggie Smith, who's just a great actress. Is like, listen, I'm going to play this role and I'm just going to do it this way. Even Whoopi seemed yeah, really was like good. uncertain.
0: Like her role would change based on the scene. Right. Uh, there was only one time where I believed Whoopi, and it's the time where she, um, she takes over the choir. Yes. <laughs> you see her. She's, she's insecure. Like, you know, first of all, she doesn't, she doesn't want to get her hands in there, but she's like appalled by the way this choir sings. She should be. It's terrible. But then the way it's kind of forced how they, they give her the baton. But once, once she takes it, like you see her, you see her insecure at first, but then over, you know, the next couple of minutes, she opens up because she's doing something that she loves to do. And you can see it. That's the only time in this movie where we're like, oh, I believe, I believe Whoopi. And there is Whoopi's charisma coming up, coming out. Yeah.
1: You're absolutely right. And it's actually a pretty good scene. Yeah, it's a good Um, scene.
0: It's the only one that held my attention. I was like, oh, this
1: is good. No, you're absolutely right. And watching it, though, is very jarring. Because up until that point, this character is not behaving that way. No. She completely became a whole different person in that scene. She does. And it's very weird. Because like this person becomes a serious musician. When Whoopi's in that scene, she's a serious like a real human being, serious musician. She is. But the scene before that, she's like this wacky, wild character who doesn't really make any sense. Kind of a princess,
0: um, but it's sort of, it's just very weird.
1: Very weird. And uh, yeah, right, some scenes she's like a princess. Other scenes she's like, oh, like, a, like almost like a, um, like a criminal herself. Right. Uh, and like, it, it, but it's just, you can tell that, you know, Someone wrote this one scene. Someone completely different wrote this other scene. Someone yeah. completely
0: different. And it's just like, all right, this movie's like a bad quilt. Sometimes she's afraid for her life. Sometimes she's like, fuck, oh, you got to get me out of this convent. It's so bad. Well, whoopee, is it so bad that you'd rather die? Is that what you're <laughs> telling me? You'd rather die. You exactly
1: you're right. It. I mean, it, so this movie is known, no. though. I mean, you look back on it now. What is Sister Act known for? I mean, it became a Broadway musical. Yes. It's known for the stuff, the music with with the nuns, which basically the premise is they take 60 standards and they make them into like slightly, you know slight turn on them and they become religious, but you know, and then nuns sing them.
0: Was there less music than you remembered? Though there were like three songs, much less. I, I thought I thought this whole thing was a musical. That's what I remembered. So here here's a here's a question for you. Yeah. And I, I I asked myself this the entire time. Was Whoopi miscast in this I guess she did her own singing, but it didn't sound like her. Actually, I thought I that was a one that was a positive for me is her singing. She um she must have I think I don't know this, but I think she recorded it separately and then lip synced to herself. And I thought she did actually a really good job of that and sounded good, uh, particularly like in the, um, in the beginning section where you see her as a, you know, as a, she's, in the credits. she's e- exactly. Um, she sounds, she sounds good and looks good. And I don't think she was actually recording it right there. I thought, I thought she did a really oh, good no job. Way that. She's recording. I thought she sounded terrible. I thought it sounded so fake. Oh, I thought she sounded pretty good. Actually. I was, I was impressed with her saying all the way through. I
1: was shocked she was the one singing. I, I'm like, I, this doesn't sound like her voice. It just sounded weird to me. I thought it sounded
0: like her. Yeah, and uh, maybe... Uh, yeah, I thought it sounded like her. I thought that uh, she was a way better singer than I, than I knew. I know that this was originally going to Bette Midler, who was Exactly, who right. I thought actually... Probably would have been a better cast, honestly. I have even a better suggestion. Who? What if Madonna was in this role? Okay, well, yeah. Mm, Whoopi's a whip. <sighs> There's so yeah, much bad acting all over this fucking place. One more bad actor in the lead, probably, but not that Whippley was very good. So maybe maybe it would have worked. I don't know. I think uh, so. Let's say they re- let's say they made this movie today. Let's yeah. just say, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I think you have like Lady Gaga. Oh, totally. A- and then in the but then you have I think they did a really poor job casting the nuns. Yes. Like like I think you know they should have had as much as we make jokes whatever. Mariah Carey would have been a great nun. Absolutely. As, like that nun who can really
0: sing. That's right.
1: They you know, if you're yeah. going to do it now, make it maybe like Ariana Grande or something. Right. And you know, you know what I mean? You could have you filled out the nuns. It would have been really fun
0: to fill out the nuns with, with actual singers. singers. Yeah, that would have been cool because, so uh, I will go back to that, but like I think Bette Midler would have been a, a better move because I, I think that even the humor I think would have worked better. I wouldn't have liked it, but I think the humor would have been more her style too. Like Whoopi has a dirtier humor than what well, than kind of worked here. Whoopi is you know a much more natural actress. Whoopi is, yeah, she is. is as,
1: as much as she can be. got these cartoonish characters, like in Ghost, or even in this. She is a very grounded. At the end of the day, she is a grounded. She's at her best when she's grounded. Yeah, Middler's at her best playing kind of broad Broadway right. stuff. Exactly. Um, but the acting,
0: this was so bad. I think Bette Midler would have been better than Whoopi here, but I would have really loved to see Madonna here. The problem with Madonna. She, I think whoopi has got a better voice than Madonna. Madonna does not have a strong voice. Oh, at all. that's,
1: that's, she that's, doesn't, she doesn't have a strong wrong.
0: voice. She was a drummer. Like she just wanted to be a pop star. She dances nah, better than she's sings. She's not very good. Whoopi's a you, better whoopi, singer. Whoopi Goldberg is Goldberg's this great singer. Now she is a better singer than Madonna. Madonna's not Madonna is a, a passable singer, but she's not good.
1: All right. right been no, good. But, uh, I think mean, that's, dumb, yeah, but it's uh, uh, let, let, let's, let's have a different thing. I, I'm trying, I was trying to think of like, who is a like a, a female singer around that? You know what I mean? That would have been like, you a, done could like
0: may, uh, yeah, maybe Pat Benatar, if she could act or, uh, or something like that, maybe would have worked in the, in the well early nineties. Yeah, maybe, maybe that, maybe her, I don't early know. 80s, like Debbie Harry from Debbie Bond Harry. Mm, yeah. Debbie might be a little bit old by that time or older. No, no, by no, that what time. I mean, if we didn't yeah, mean like in, right. in like right. 1980, right. Or whatever. Sure. But actually the choir is a good point. That's another thing that was completely unbelievable. So whenever they soloed these singers, they sounded like old white ladies. But then when they were a choir together, they sound like they've, there's not a good soul choir, but like a passable soul choir. I'm like, how do these collection of ter- Like you sound like my grandmother singing like a lot of vibrato and, and you know, not a lot of power. That's what you sound like naturally. But suddenly when you're all these grandmas singing together, there's, there's a soul choir. They've got rhythm. No, fuck. No, no, no I agree. Uh, Kathy Najimy. Let's talk about her for a second. <sighs> Who is oh, she?
1: I- is she the, she's the she's the like the fat i'm gonna get in trouble for oh, this pc yeah, police right yeah the fat, the fat, the fat one. bubbly yeah she 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 had a career i mean she was in um veronica's closet for four years you know she so she yeah, yeah. she actually made this role into a career she married the guy from the dan band um the dan. dan the guy dan band is the one that's in um hangover oh okay uh oh yeah, yeah i know that guy in the movie yeah. he's done a lot of stuff you know so she married Dan, and and by all accounts, Kathy Gibby's like a really great, part. you know. She
0: seems she's, seen, should, she's got a lot, shy, lot of charisma. I mean, but got a lot of charisma. Um,
1: yeah, but she's really
0: bad in this movie. Though. The characters. No. Yeah, she's no, no, she's not good. She's not good. Like it's so bizarre. It's not a good fit. Not a good fit for the film at all. I, I, I don't know, but everybody, I think people struggled with should I be over the top or not? It seemed like. The way, all through the movie with, you know, whether it's a henchman or Harvey or Whoopi on some occasions, the only one who's not overacting. And you mentioned this before is Maggie Smith. I love Maggie Smith. I could, I wish, I wish that I could meet her. I could sit in a room and have her fucking look at me with exasperation for hours. And I would love it. I love her. I loved her as the Dowager on Downton Abbey. She is awesome. I fucking love her let's talk Maggie Smith. I just want to go through this because people, a lot of people, maybe younger people maybe don't know just a quick
1: breakdown of, of how amazing her career is. Yeah. So she was nominated for best actress uh, in Othello in 1960, came out, well, came out in 65. Yeah. Uh, then she won best actress uh, for a movie called the prime of Miss Jody, Jean Brody, which I've never seen, but she won best actress for that. Then she gets nominated in 73 three years later for Travels My Aunt. Then she's in a Neil Simon movie, California Suite. She won uh, Best Supporting Actress. I've seen that. Yeah. That's with Richard Pryor, um, Walter Matthaus in that. Um, and she's very good at it. It's not a good movie. She's very good at it. And then she's in A Room with a View, right. uh, uh, which she, she gets nominated for. And then uh, more recently, uh, Gosford Park. It came out about I don't oh, know, yeah. 20 years ago now. That's right, yeah. And then she's been, like you mentioned, in Downton Abbey. So I... I what what a career! I mean, you know, we all know Tom Hanks won two Oscars, whatever we all right. you know, but. If you add who's alive that won two Oscars, I don't think Maggie Smith would come up on a lot of people's list. Probably
0: lists. not. I think she's overshadowed by some of her British contemporaries, like maybe even like Helen Miriam or something, but she, this Maggie Smith is a phenomenal talent and she's had a career. She's had like, she's 80 something now, but she's had a career since her 20s. She said she's been in showbiz for like 60 years, just like kicking ass the entire way. I love her.
1: No, you're, you're absolutely right. And it's not only Helen Mirren, but also, uh, you know, Judy Dench, Judy Dench. And then, right. and then even Meryl Streep, america i know but you know they had roughly the same you know since 1975 78 whatever you know when you know popped in the scene you know then uh they've competed for a lot of awards um but yeah i mean what what i mean and she's so good in this and she's so grounded and the script is so poor
0: and her character is really badly written her character has to do like four different mood switches totally yeah. And yet you believe her every time. You do. Yeah. She goes from um, hating Whoopi and not wanting her to be there to accepting her in to deciding that she wa- she has to go because she's the old school and the new school is, is is in town now to, you know, embracing her new role with, you know, with this, like this new style. Yeah, you're and right. She does go to, through to four, four different loops.
1: Convincing the nuns to go to Reno. Exactly.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Riling up the gang to go save Whoopi very strange uh <laughs> but I, she's well, she's it, i i can't take my eyes off her like she is she's just like completely believable the entire time i fucking love her I'll She's will yeah
1: um anything else on this that you want to cover i mean it, so this is not going to crack my bottom five no just me neither it's not good but it's not it's not awful um I, I i mean it's it's not is harvey Keitel. i guess we could talk about him for a second like he's yeah. he's
0: why because does he know take what to this? do here? He's like, uh, so this is off res dogs, right? Res dogs was 91. No. Uh, yeah. Around the same time. Around the same time. I think if res dogs was first and then this. I think you're right. And it's but, like, but, 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 but right. Yeah. I mean, right around yeah. the same time. I but don't know what what type first, of paycheck but. could you possibly get to make this fucking thing worthwhile for you? He's a good actor. Harvey's good. Well, maybe this does lead into a final point for me. Yeah. So,
1: um, you know, th- I think a problem with rewatching this now is that, what was funny in 1992 or 93? What year are we in? 92? 92. 92. Uh, what you know isn't fun. Like the idea back, I remember this. I remember my parents thinking this is so funny. But nuns doing things that are not nun-like. Yeah. For baby boomers. Yeah. That's very funny to them. Like a nun playing basketball is like hysteric. That's really funny <laughs> to my to my parents. Right. And that people of that age group where Gen Xers or millennials we don't think that's that's not really funny it's that's it's not that's not a big deal it's not interesting to us but so I think the overall premise of this movie nuns do none un none like things that was supposed to carry the movie and yeah. maybe it did in 92 right but for us it that's not humorous at all so the biggest joke in this movie for me and you i'm guessing and for anybody our age or younger it doesn't land
0: no it doesn't you're right I wonder what that. Do you think it's just we're used to? It's, it's happened too many times. This like nun fish out of water thing. Like this badass nun. This badass yeah. like uh, yeah motorcycle. I mean, in a bizarre way, done. this
1: movie. I mean, this movie was a cultural uh, shift. Uh, I, mean, I remember when we were growing up, nuns would do Reebok ads, and they're like playing basketball oh, or like yeah. running in the park and like that. Plus, it's also just like our humor is a bit more advanced. Like what is this like this one joke setup. It's not really going to work in 2020. Like r- what we want in art and comedy is a bit more complicated than that. Sure. Potentially. Then again, you have TikTok videos where someone's like, you know, farting in their armpit for half an hour and that's funny or whatever for 30 seconds whatever. Right. But um, I-, I think from a movie, we expect more than just a one joke premise, ideally. I think you're uh, right. I know me and you do. Yeah. Uh, so, it, the, you know, none singing a 1965 song, a Motown song.
0: That's not really that crazy or interesting or funny to us. No, particularly when it's so like, that's such a small part, small part of it. Like you'd think that would be the main driving artistic force. Would there just be more music there that, you know, more inspiring fun that I think that would make it more fun. Even though I got, it really cheesed me out listening to the, some of these, some of these songs, I think for someone else, like having more music would have been, would have been more enjoyable. You know what I mean? If that were whatever, 30 minutes of the movie as opposed to 10, it would have been a more enjoyable movie. It's all kind of shoehorned in though. I mean, I guess. I
1: mean, like the credit the credit sequence, like you talked yeah. about you, you said you kind of I thought it was awful and I couldn't yeah. wait for it to be over. I'm yeah. like, I don't believe any of this. Like I don't believe she's singing. I don't believe I it's just, it's just it, the songs weren't even like really good selections, I guess. It just wasn't no. performed very well. And I kind of like Motown. I was just like I, I don't like know, Motown. Man. Yeah, I'm into it yeah no it this was, is it was, just it was not
0: entertaining crazy. i so another scene that was funny was when they try to clean up the city i know <laughs> like, and actually they uh they they graffitied their own building to clean up the city which was funny
1: yeah i think that was like a clever i guess twisted director like, had
0: or i'm guessing
1: uh maybe it was not the script who knows
0: but the other thing that was kind of weird was they wouldn't let people enter a sex shop oh i know i saw that like we okay should. you're driving these people out of business you fuckers
1: yeah, and like, I think, you know, it's funny how in 1992, like, the sex shop was uh, a sign of uh, 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 like a d- dangerous or a bad place. Sure. Where I think we're a little bit more, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I don't think any, I'm guessing a lot of people don't want to move right next to a sex shop, but it's not as of much of a blight as it is, as it was then. Sure.
0: Like, I could imagine a scene like that now. No. I also couldn't imagine a scene where these, old women nuns singing in the church are just pied pipering the people in from outside. Like during their rehearsals, they're singing and they're like, <laughs> Who? people are people are like get enchanted. And then they're walking through the doors, filling up the church. Like real time. I'm like, no. People aren't loved, doing that.
1: I love the young people's reactions when they got in there. They're like pumping their fists they all yes. like, no one would be, no, no one. one. So ridiculous.
0: I mean, I could totally see it. What was believable is the nuns going out in the community and like playing, you know, hopscotch with people and hanging out and whatever, trying to relate and stuff. Sure. That's believable. But like the Pied Piper crap it was like no, no it was and not- like
1: I, I watching young people's reactions because <laughs> yes. i mean like yo teach <laughs> right yeah you can just tell it was like made by boomers yeah and this is what they imagine young people <laughs> right. to like react to something they think is cool it's just very strange it's really out of touch um yeah it's just it's just this it movie hit. i mean it's yeah, but it's not, it's not one of my worst movies, but no, I mean, I, I give this a, a D
0: plus D isn't dog oh. plus this
1: m- m- movie. is Yeah, this good. might
0: be a straight D for me. This is a bad, this is not good. It won't crack. You're right. It won't crack the bottom five. We've seen, we've seen some, some doozies, but, uh, but it's bad question for you though. I is like they rushed. I know it made a lot of money, but they rushed into sister act two back in the habit.
1: Yeah, I think we we might end up saving that conversation for a later date, potentially. Oh, if we, well, I, hope, I hope not. But it, just didn't, done
0: it. it didn't, was it, did it open number one? Because it didn't do that well. It only made like 50 million domestic. Yeah, that's decent for that that time. I mean, it's okay. It made its money, but it's
1: okay. I have a bigger question. Can I call yeah. Kathleen and Jimmy fat? Am I allowed to do that on this show? Are we going to,
0: are we going to, can I say fat? I,
1: I, I, why not,
0: right? I, you know, I'm not going to have a problem with that. You can say whatever you want here. This is a safe space. I mean,
1: she is, she was fat in that, in
0: that show. Yeah. In that movie. I agree. That's isn't fine. Weird, it. Isn't
1: it weird how like, like 10 years ago, I wouldn't have like thought twice about it. But the second I said, it, I was like, uh, but then again, I'm like, wait a second. Uh, really? I...
0: No, you can say that. I mean, I think it would be mean if you said it to someone's face, like you are fat. Like that's mean, but like, you know what we're talking? She, she put herself out. She put herself out there. We're going to tell talk me about I'm skinny all the time. Yeah, you're right. It's a, it's a weird thing how there's, there's people are really offended if you call someone one thing but not the other.
1: I'm a white, skinny, straight guy. I, I can't know.
0: say shit to anybody. No, you can't. But, uh, but if we were, mm, you know, 150 years ago calling you skinny would have been an insult. Calling someone fat would have, would have, didn't, uh, you know, you really well.
1: in on this. You, 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 you think it's a big deal that like people used to think this was like a sign of wealth. when It like, was. Were fat. Yeah. Fat was yeah, a but, sign but, of
0: wealth. But a long time ago, no one had, you know, big deal. I mean, 150 years ago, a lot of shit was. I'm just saying okay. people's perspective changes over time. Like this one, calling someone fat wouldn't have been an insult 150 years ago.
1: It would have been insult 10 years ago. No, I mean, no, insult, probably
0: no. But it,
1: it wouldn't have been like, you know, like, it's funny, like, I wouldn't, like, I don't know, I would call, like, I don't know, whatever, who's an actor, it's fat, like, like, uh, John Goodman. John Goodman. Like, right. oh, he's fat, and, like, you don't really think twice of it, but if you call Catherine and Jimmy fat, you're like, uh, should I say that? But, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm also, like, at this point, I'm like, fuck it. I you mean, know, she's yeah. fat,
0: you know, like, it is what it is. Yeah. We're all different shapes and sizes. She's, she's fat. She's large. Would you call her fat or no? I would call, yeah, because... I mean, would you objectively describe her as a
1: fat one, you don't usually do that. Usually, you know, you're I mean, usually is don't,
0: I usually don't comment on people's looks in that way. No, I, I just, I think that's that's more of a polite thing that the way I was raised. How do you describe her though? No, she's a, she's a overweight woman. Yeah. I don't know that I would use fat. Fats a little bit, I, th- a little bit more uncouth. So I can't do So I shouldn't say it then. I don't know. I have no problem. You are less couth than I am. <laughs> am I? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Let's try to be on i don't know I no guess. that's fine call her fat All, you know what together we say i don't know i'm just i'm moment.
1: just trying to i mean like it's, it's you know i normally probably wouldn't but like you know, we're trying to describe a
0: character you know what i mean like we have to use some sort of like it's, but that's the thing it's not a judgment Shorthand. it's not a judgment this is a person no, who is a fat. larger size we are talking about what you know we're talking about her trying to be objective well i guess someone would say like oh you should say she's overweight that's, yeah, that was my, my, cool as opposed to fat it. or heavy, right? When they say heavy, that seems worse to me. Heavy seems worse. Word. I like portly plus size. That was a thing for a while. Right. That's mean too. Although I was wondering, so, you know, we did uh, weird Al, I think on the last episode of the one before yeah, and his, yeah, one yeah, of yeah. his best songs is, is, uh, and I tweeted this out. I was wondering, I was, I was actually wondering if I was going to get some trouble about this. He did, uh, the song fat, right? Right. Which is a, the video is a scene by like a recreation of Michael Jackson's bad. But him in a fat suit and it's amazing. And I tweeted out the the version with no music whatsoever. And it's really cool to see him do it. I was wondering if if I would get in trouble for doing that because I'm, I don't know, I'm using the word fat or, well, I wasn't, but I was tweeting out weird out using the word fat. And I wondered if he got, if he would get canceled because of that. I'm like, I hope the fuck not. I hope we can live in a world where we can say that people are skinny or people are fat and it's fucking okay.
1: Can you imagine if I said Kathy Jimmy was fat on the ringer?
0: Oh, you wouldn't have. Yeah, you wouldn't have survived that. Yeah, no, uh, no, but I can't listen to that. I can't listen. I can't listen to his show. They're, they're not. There's no, there's no bite to it. There's nothing, there's nothing there. It's vapid. Like what the, what's the point? What is the point? Tell me your fucking opinion. Uh, yeah, he wasn't yeah. always like that too. He used to write, you know, 15 years ago when he, 20 years ago when he was writing, he, he would, he didn't pull punches. No. Yeah. Oh my God. And he, I used to read him on digital city,
1: Boston um, which is what he did before ESPN. Yeah. And he was fucking brutal. I, I thought it was hysterical. He was nasty. and right. Mean. And and he would say really cruel things. That I, I mean, I think that's funny. So I would, I was laughing and like, especially when I was like 1920, I was a real dick. I thought it was really funny. <laughs> well, and, I- uh, Oh, yeah. On. Now, now, like, like, I mean, but the whole, but it's the whole. He's the bad boy of the ringer. B- bizarrely enough, like Sean Fennessy, yeah, and like Chris Ryan. Oh. Those guys are always trying to be like, "Hey, Bill, like, oh, it's too much. Dial it
0: back." That's got to be reputation. That's not. That's not reality as it is. That's like people thinking. It, it, it's not. That's not reality. It's. It's not. Yeah, it's not how he is. Right. It's like thinking Howard Stern is edgy now. He's not edgy anymore. Like these people. Maybe it's like you've said before on this on the show that comedy doesn't work forever like you lose your fastball you, right. you, you just can't. You, you you're it passes you by you just you're not as quick or you don't know all the all you know pop culture of today anymore so you're just not as relevant anymore maybe it's the same thing with with being a critic or being a critical person maybe you lose your your ability as you age too. not me i disagree i think uh roger ebert and pauline Kael did some of the best true. Work of the later years. that's true but he was never it was different he ebert's different he, I. Well, think kale he, is good. Carol is nasty when she yeah. got yeah. old. Yeah, you're you ever
1: right. read those old uh, Pauline kale reviews. They're funny. Yeah, you're right. Um, she gets real mean. Yeah, uh, I, I think I, I, Bill Bill Simmons on on that Ringer big picture show or, or uh the rewatchables, he'll say a woman is pretty or, or like sexy or something, and the other people on the show freak out like, "Whoa, Bill, you can't say
0: that. Come on, like, well, are you fucking kidding? You me? can't say a woman is pretty. That's fucked up. It's it's like like oh, you, you can't say she's up. sexy, Bill. You can't say that. That's stupid." It's crazy. Do You know, the right said Fred song. I'm too sexy. <laughs> yes. <thank you. laughs> or, 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 or who did we talk about? Uh, fucking, I can't remember who did. I want to sex you up. These are legitimate songs, <laughs> right? Uh, are we done with, uh, yeah, we guys? are. Uh, but before we go into breaking the girl, I do want to talk about the pop culture show. So I've got a great show for you all to check out. It's called The Pop Culture Show with Barnes, Leslie, and Cubby. Now, these guys fly through all of the latest pop culture news like TV and movies and gadgets and celebrity news, all that and more. And, let you know, Chris, we do a, Chris and I, we like pop culture, and you're listening to Quantum Week, which is a pop culture show, so of course you like pop, pop culture, and there's no better place to get it than The Pop Culture Show. So let's talk about the hosts. Barnes is a pop culture junkie. He's a musician, a TV-aholic, and... He's an actor. He's in that new Steve Carell movie that just came out called Irresistible. And he was a reoccurring character in Prison Break on Fox. And Leslie, she's got a really interesting background. She's a power executive at a cable TV network and is just mixing it up every day with musicians and actors and personalities. She's just got her hand on the pulse of Hollywood gossip. And Cubby? Cubby is the morning show personality at one of New York City's top radio stations. This guy knows everyone and pulls in some really cool guests. These three have known each other for over two decades, and it really shows. They've got a very tight show, and you can just tell that they're friends. And that's something that's important to me when I'm listening to a podcast. If there's a host there, they need to care about the content, and they need to care about each other. It's, it's something that makes a lot of, you know, a huge difference to, to me. And Chris and I wouldn't be able to do this show if, if, uh, if we weren't friends. Same thing with the pop culture show. You can tell that they're friends, and they do a great job. And it's just a solid collection of pop culture talk from all over the map. There's a huge variety of, of, uh, of interests that come up which just makes each show unique. So do what Chris and I do. Listen and subscribe to the Pop Culture Show wherever you get your podcasts.
1: You can check it out now. They, uh, the most recent episode has an interview with uh, the guy from Air Supply. So if you're into like, I know Matt and I both oh, are, like yeah. '80s. I'm and- <laughs>
0: all out of love.
1: <laughs> that's right uh, so yeah so the episode's up right now you can go wherever you get your podcast and check out the pop culture show all
0: right so let's talk about breaking the girl with the red hot chili peppers i fucking all love right. this song you love know this song i love this song me too yeah and i i know why it's because i love every single part of this song every okay, part so,
1: so i kind of enjoy the first three minutes i really love the back two minutes of this song you do what, what do you I do? What, like, what about it makes the back it ta- two? It shifts and becomes, it becomes something you don't expect at all. Yeah. Uh, and it becomes, I don't want to say more intense, but there's a, an energy to it that is very unique, um, and my favorite Red Hot Chili Pepper songs all end up kind of having this shift, like halfway or in the back end of it. And it's always a really interesting, cool shift that no one else does. Yep. And this song is the best example. It's probably my favorite Chili Pepper song.
0: This is my favorite Chili Pepper song, which I think we would get killed at by people who love... The Red Hot Chili Peppers, particularly really? this era. Yeah, because this era, this is the re- one of the reasons why I like it so much is it's so different than anything they'd they'd done at to this point. So by the time Red Hot, but uh, by the time uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic, this album comes out, they've already been a band for like nine years and they're mostly doing, you know, rock, rap, funk stuff, right? You well, They did Higher Ground, which yeah, is a, re- I think a really good cover. Song. I I mean I'm, I I like probably, I'm I'm probably just sick of it. Like I, in general, that's not my favorite Stevie Wonder song. It's not my favorite, but but you're right. They do, but uh, but a lot of it is Anthony Kiedis rapping over you know funk riffs and stuff. Uh, Mother's Milk got a little bit heavier uh, before Blood Hot, uh, Red Hot uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic, but still, it's kind of that vibe. This is a huge departure from what they were doing. Huge departure, and so so that's why I think like people who like my buddies who are hugely influenced by the red hot chili peppers who grew up at the same time that we did do like would think that's a, a poor take. They would like, oh. they would, they'd be like math. That, that's a bad take, but, but it's just because they've, they've never, I love this. This is my favorite red hot chili peppers album. Yes. After too. this, I don't really like them very much. And, but this album to me is very good. Very good. And this song is I, so I, different. I, we're in total lockstep here. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, so, We'll get into the song a little bit too, but I do want to say a couple things about this album. First of all, it was their it was the first, they really broke out with yeah. this one. I mean, mother uh, the last two albums prior, like I said, they've been slogging away for like eight nine years before it. They'd gone through multiple guitar uh, guitarists. Their first guitarist, Halal, uh, um, died of a drug overdose. They all had their drug problems, but they still right. stayed together for eight or nine years to get to this point. And then they bring in John Frusciante. Um, who's a very young guitar player. He's like 20 years old when this album comes out. And, but it, this is their most, success, most successful up to that point. It, it hits number three uh, on the Hot 200, so, sells Ten million copies and just shoots them into the fucking stratosphere.
1: Well, it's, under the bridge was everywhere. It was like, that was a pop hit. Like that was everywhere. Like everyone heard that song everywhere you go when that came out. That was the to me that was the breakaway hit that made him like completely mainstream. Um, I don't think Breaking the Girl. Am I? I know it did chart a little bit, but it didn't have the same it impact. Did not. No. no.
0: I was looking. This did not chart, at least not now. I'm not sure where it hit on the Hot 100, but this charted on the alternative chart. Is is where I where's where I right. found it. And I, and I, as soon as I saw it, I'm like, okay, we got to talk about this one because I fucking love this song. Um, but this song, it so it's this is all John Frusciante. This is all the, so he. Like I said, he's 20 years old at this time, but he is extremely prolific writer. And that is why this album sticks out to me. It's because of how good of a writer he is. He wrote a lot of this album. Um, so maybe we'll talk about, yeah, let me, uh, we'll talk about the song. So well, let's talk about the album for a second. Oh yeah. Yeah. Want, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like give it away is on
1: this album. You'll, give it yeah. away is an amazing song. One of my favorite. That's I my second a great favorite song. song. I
0: love it. Uh, Suck my kisses on that. I love that yeah, song. Yep. Exactly. Power of um, equality. I covered that in a band for a long time. I love that song all funky tunes, all of them really funky tunes. You know, I think that's when I also like, uh, it's not on
1: this album, but if you, if you asked me like what my top sure of songs are, it would be those three, probably the ones we just mentioned. Yep. And then maybe I like, can't stop. I think is really good.
0: That's not a bad song for a later. For,
1: I don't even know. I yes, think they're best of their later. I yeah. don't like their latest stuff either. I'm with I you. Don't. And, and it, as
0: it goes later, I like it less. Do you, um, do you believe that Californication was 20 years ago? That's crazy yeah I mean th- we're old man, like I guess just, so, but know. I just still think that is modern chili peppers and and that's the start of like I hate i like I hate this stuff, but you're right, can that's not a bad song. The problem is Ketus gets exposed, he's really good at that at that rap thing, but he's not a very good singer, and then later on yeah. they start to get into that plus. They go, you know, Frusciante has his drug problems. He secretly gets fucking hooked on uh, heroin shortly after this album, I think, or maybe even partially during it. He yeah. goes into a downward. He can't handle the fucking limelight that happens. They they get completely, you know, like I said, it was a rocket ship after Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Um, he, they're touring all over the place. He can't handle it. He goes, he fucking starts injecting the shit out of himself and goes into this this hellhole drug spiral. Have you seen videos of him? Um, like a few years after this, it's like he's holed up in a motel with his girlfriend broke and like his, he's like his teeth are all messed up and he's just gaunt and just a complete fucking mess. Um, and then, so they go through Dave Navarro and a couple other guitar players until they get back to Frusciante, I don't know, 10 years later when he's sober again. Um, so they, you know, but, but the, but the, but the writing really changes. After this, because you don't really have Rushante anymore. So it's like, you know, just they get to the kind of more songwriting stuff. And then and and he just can't handle that. Like, he's just not a good singer, even though he's singing on this song on this one. He's he's singing and it's actually it's like the perfect song for him. It's very easy, but the melody is really amazing. It's it's the it's the only one that really works for him singing, not rapping, in my opinion.
1: I, I i agree i mean i you see a complete shift after Freshanti leaves yeah. the band right and and there's the a shift when he obviously when he joins the band and, and he was self-destructing even during the tour like yeah so i guess they would do like they did shows and he would just like half-ass play or he like completely beats like stoned down <sighs> yep. and like would like wouldn't would just, like stop playing during yep. shows and they did an snl and he he he, uh, he sucked like, like, it was like uh, he wasn't just like sucking in like you know Topeka. He was like failing on like you know on high levels. Like, and the band was just newly like hot. Like they, right. they worked their ass off to get there, and now you got this twenty year old kid who's tanking it. I know. It's like what the fuck is your problem?
0: The crazy thing to so, and he left the how he quit the band was they were in Japan on their tour, and he just one night he said I'm not doing this anymore and left. It was fucking thanks asshole. Um, but you'd think like all of them had their problems with drugs. They had. Uh, you know, I, like I said, their their former guitar player died of Dr- Slovak, Hillal Slovak uh, dry, died of a drug overdose. They lost um, they lost their drummer too. Their original drummer, I think it was was it Irons. I think yeah, Irons left because he was so sad that Slovak died. I mean, drug and Ketus was in and out of out of rehab. Flea was in and out of. Re- they all had their problems with drugs, uh, and still climb to this Heights, you know, eight years later with blood sugar, sex magic, you'd think they would have seen it, you know, brought a guitar player in and bit, just like, okay, sat him down and just, and just said, look, drugs almost destroyed us, but we still made it here. Don't do the heroin. Like you think I they would have I done that. I don't think it works that way. <laughs> are, are you, are you a fan of flea? I think he's really talented, All right. really talented. And, um, you get, you really like you pigeonhole him as a slap bass player but he's not. And this song, he is not. He's playing a really awesome... Uh, we'll pl- I'll, I'll, I'll show you some in a second here, but really awesome, like, melodic bass lines. He's very talented. He was uh, at, for a while, I, don't, I can't remember when it was, but he was teaching music theory at, like, USC uh, hmm. for a while. He's, he's, he's really talented. Do you not like him? What do you think? Uh,
1: so, I think he's okay. I think they mic up the bass way too high on Chili Pepper songs. Yeah, they do and it's really fucking distracting and i know it's their sound and i get it but uh, the cool thing is when they had for he's so good he's so good that um they couldn't help But like i think like they want Flea to be like you know um uh
0: who's the bassist from you too the edge sure. am i saying that right or see the guitars yeah Edge i know the edge is a guitar player it's adam can't remember his last name but right, yeah
1: right they want it they i feel like they want him to be like one of these like top level bass guys oh that's uh, not a
0: top level uh, that adam guy is a barely proficient uh but they tried player. to
1: make him you two will, will, manip, will manipulate it so sometimes you hear the bass a bit more on yeah, certain things true yeah. and i feel like with chili peppers they're doing the same thing only even more pronounced and they just want flea to be this like megastar and it's like i understand I, I, that i don't know i know their sound it just to me it just sometimes seems um amateur hour forced hiking. yeah
0: yeah I understand that. Like I've been in bands with some really phenomenal bass players who, who were like technically really proficient. And we would do the same. If you, there's some albums uh, that I'm on from, you know, my early twenties and uh, one of the bass player, Eric, he's so good, but we would do the same thing too. He would have a lot of melodic, bass lines and same thing with flea you'd have you so he's like really taking up taking up a lot of the real estate in the songs yes but, but to his defense actually um a lot of the music is pretty sparse otherwise it's just a four-piece but it's really a three-piece band with ketis rapping so there's no real melody there and then you've got a lot of times the guitar is you know, for Shante, I, so I, I've listened to um, some of his solo stuff too, which I really like. I think he's innovative, but he's not, he's not like a flashy guitar player. Like he can comp really well and he has some cool lines. He's not flashy though. So he's not taking up a lot of real estate either. So then you've got, you kind of have the bass that's taking over, but I can see why that would annoy you if it's not the sound that you like. Who's the, is, do you have a favorite bass player? Uh, Jaco Pistorius is one of my favorites ever. Uh, he is, uh, he was a jazz player. He, um, he, he was in a band called Weather Report, and he died a very tragic, very tragic death, but he is a phenomenal. He was Daddy a phenomenal died. player. He, died, he had drug problems, too, and he, he died broke without a bass, um, and he, he got into a fight with a guy at a bar who, who killed him. It sucks. Oh, my God. He was a phenomenal player. He, played, uh, he was on tour with Joni Mitchell for a while, too. He's a phenomenal, phenomenal player. Him, Victor Wooten, I really love, too, with, from uh, Bela Fleck. He can be busy, oh, but, okay. but he's a phenomenal bass player. Those two. There's probably there's okay. there's definitely more, but uh, those two are, are two of my favorites, but flea is really I wouldn't call. I wouldn't put flea up up there, but I think flea is really talented. You're right. He's busy, though. Um, so should we move on more to the song now? I yeah. think? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I wanted to play some stuff. First of all, here's the here is the intro. <laughs> So the first thing that you notice, tell me, what's the first thing you notice? I I mean, I mean, I'm not, you know, trained or anything, uh,
1: but I I really love the pacing and the it, it I like when things are intense and I feel like there's a element of this is important to it, but also this weird undercurrent of fun. Yeah, And I I know it's kind of a weird thing, but that's kind of what I look for in art. Like I love Sopranos. Sopranos is, is like this intense thing, but it has like a funny, like it's that tonal shift. And I feel like this isn't, it doesn't, it's not that it doesn't know what it wants to be, but it's good enough where it can be in multiple things. And it's like, I'm drawn in. Yeah, it's, build,
0: it's building suspense, actually. That's what it feels like to me. It's like building intensity Absolutely. and suspense. Absolutely. Yeah. So, this is a Frashante line, and he said that it was, he is a big Led Zeppelin fan. And so, for him, this felt like um, the songs Friends and uh, Battle of Evermore. Here's Friends. <laughs> Yeah, very similar. Bam, bam. Yeah, it's got like it's not totally the same, but it does the same thing. as building yeah. this intensity. I love that it's song, friends. Same feeling. Same feeling, right? Building this intensity. Um, so it it's it's a very it's interesting that he named those that song as like an influence to to breaking the girl because. I, we've talked about this before. Led Zeppelin likes to do a lot of altered tunings, particularly uh, guitar tunings, particularly when they do acoustic music, like Friends is, and that's an altered tuning. And the, it's a cool thing that you can do with guitar. You can change, um, you can change the 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 tuning of every single one of the strings so that when you strum it, it's this open, nice chord. Um, and Frusciante doesn't do that. This is actually a very easy song to play on guitar. Breaking the Girl, he doesn't tune it to an altered tuning, and I wonder if he didn't he was so young at the time. I wonder if he didn't know it was an alter tuning and he tried to mimic it in a standard tuning. So when you do that, it it doesn't give you the same sort of resolution as an open chord would because once you take your hand off of the thing and you strum, it sounds like this lush open chord. It sounds like home. You don't get that same sense with breaking the, the girl. It's like constantly building this intensity, I think, because there is no open tuning Home, but he was trying to—he was trying to replicate that. The other thing that's really um, interesting is the drum and the bass for for me. So this is one of only four songs that the Red Hot Chili Peppers have written in six-eight time. Uh, so uh, we won't get into time signatures and shit, but most of their stuff is in four four. But this is like one two a three a one two a three a one two. It's it's groups of three, so one two a three a four five six. That that's that's very odd for them to do, and and you could tell like do they usually do four four? Can you do, yeah, can you do so, that for us? Uh, down three uh, uh uh one two three four one two three four but two do, damn. You see the difference? There's a swing yeah, feel yeah. to it, right? This, uh, I feel like the, the,
1: how this is, is a lot more like, like, I keep using that word, but like a lot more intense. It's a lot totally. more like, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I say pressure, but it's a lot more uh, like, a, I do say, more at stake. or I feel like there's an urgency. That's totally. What for. Yeah, urgency, like uh, we're
0: building, we're building. There's, yeah. there's something happening here. Uh, so here, here, listen to the drums. And the... So it's so cool. It's like and the other thing I love. I I said this to bring every element of this song. I like. I love the guitar playing on the song. I love the kit and the bass on this song. And I also love that how they produced it. Did you hear they swell in? Like it start. It's the whole thing starts with just guitar and uh, guitar and bass. But they but they swell in the drums. It starts really quiet. And it gets louder and louder through the mix until it's until it's all the way there. It's so rare that people do that. You usually like you start either you start in the beginning with the drums or at some point in the song, like boom, like you're in. But this, like, it just gradually like swells into it. It's so cool. It gives you such a an interesting feel because it's just building that intensity, like slowly this simmeringness underneath everything that just builds it right up. I fucking love it. And that was inspired, of course, by. You know that one? No. Oh, that's my favorite Jimi Hendrix tune. That's called "Manic Depression." It is awesome. Oh, wow. And I don't think- usually like Jimi,
1: Jimi Hendrix stuff. Uh, I, mean, I, I should. I will admit, I really only know his popular stuff, yeah. like
0: hyper popular stuff. Right. Um, I'll give that I'll give that a world though, because that sounded fun. You should listen to Manic Depression. It is an amazing song. You saw uh, Jimi Hendrix, I'm not a big uh Jimi Hendrix fan either. I realize he was doing innovative stuff at the time that no other people were doing, but he's not technically a great guitar player. I still don't I don't think of him as a great guitar player. Band of Gypsies is uh his he's got a live album with the Band of Gypsies that's awesome. And that song, Manic Depression, I, I fucking love. But it's that same feeling. Even the drums. Um, are very similar, and the cool thing is, um, the drummer for the Peppers, his name is escaping me, Chad Smith. He he used found objects. He like went to a junkyard and found all this metal and like <laughs> and played and you know and played that uh, to to add to the to the drum rhythm, and that's what you feel. It's like this churning kind of um, almost jerky engine behind everything that's his drums it's like (laughs) like all this like movement and craziness happening in these cool sounds Um, the other thing is so like I said I love everything I love the drums the other thing that I love is this listen to the flutes right it's all over the background of that of that song and it's not actually flutes it's an organ um it's an it's a mellotron organ that they that they have the flute sound on and it's such hmm. an amazing thing and you know i talked about uh Frusciante loving zeppelin this was probably his call I don't
1: hear I'm just so familiar with this song too i just don't hear the, the organ, the flute sound. I do, but it's not, I'm just
0: so familiar with stairway to heaven. I just don't, I, I, it's hard for me to like compartmentalize it. Okay, that's fine. Well, when you listen back, you'll hear the flute, that flute organ. It's the same organ sound from stairway to heaven that, that he throws Mm. in the back of breaking the girl. And it gives this mystical quality to it. Just like stair. I mean, I, we're probably conditioned to it because of, uh, one of the cool things about Led Zeppelin is their use of, of organ, and uh, keyboard sounds, and it's all analog keyboard sounds at that time. They're, it's not like, you know, synthesis in the 80s. And there was some really, you know, great organic sounding um, organ instruments then, including this Mellotron, which with these, this cool, like, airy flute sound, and that, that type of shit's all over the mystic stuff of, of uh, Led Zeppelin. And I'm sh- I bet, I'm going to bet that it was Frusciante put it on this motherfucker because he's so inspired by them. See, it's
1: funny you say, it. so when I listen to music, I, I I imagine like a movie. Yeah. Like, that's how I listen to music, is like, I a lot of times I'm like imagining how it would be cinematically. Yep. And um, like, when I listen to, mystical is a great word. So when I'm hearing Stay Away to Heaven, it is very mystical. It is very much like, almost like, Lord of the Rings type. Yeah. Like, you, you imagine kind of like, and I think a lot of it is because you mentioned that flute. That's exactly why. But when I'm listening to Breaking the Girl, I'm imagining guys like, either like a mob movie or like doing like a bank heist. And it's like, and then when that shift happens around the three minute mark, it's when yeah. like fucking shit gets, or maybe they're like the first three minutes are like them, like getting shit ready. Like maybe they pull up to the bank, <laughs> yeah. they're casing the joint. Yeah. And at that three minute mark when that shift happens. It's like kicking the door and they start fucking robbing the place. <laughs> like that's what I like, or whatever the action, that's when the action scene turns. So to me, the flute is, I'm hearing the same flute. Maybe you are right. Maybe that I'm sure you're right. Like that makes all the sense in the world. That's, they're pulling it from Zeppelin. But to me, they're totally different worlds yeah. because of how my brain is processing the intensity of the song.
0: Well, it's one of the amazing things about music. We all just kind of can glean our own you know, our emotional response to it. And, and you had a different upbringing than I did so or a different appreciation for certain movies than maybe I did. And so th- that's what comes up for you. It feels mystical to me that this song, because their other stuff is not like that at all. None of it is like that at all. This is, this is an anomaly breaking the girls complete departure from them. This
1: is my, this is my favorite chili pepper song. I would say almost like, I don't want to say by far, far, but by a good margin, a good margin. This is one of my favorite songs of the nineties. This would crack
0: my top 50 top. Oh yeah. Five, maybe even of the night. Like I really like I love the song. Yeah. I love the song. And you know, one of the things for me is if it's an artist that I've, not that i've pigeonholed or that they've pigeonholed themselves and sure. they do something that is wi- that is different than what their their normal thing is i really can appreciate that uh there's this band called um i think it's oh yeah you know Bl- blink 182 famous yeah. in the i don't know early 2000s right yeah um the lead singer from blink 182 did an, a project afterwards called angels and airways yeah and i fucking love that album i mm-hmm. hate blink 182 but it's like such you could tell that he he wanted to move beyond the, the, the how he pigeonholed himself. He moved beyond and wrote some, you know, some uh, epic stuff for his skill level, and I, and I really appreciate that. It's a kind of a similar thing here with the with the peppers. It's like they, this they move they move beyond what they what they normally are, and I like that. It's a great song. Great song. Um, so that's it that I've got. Do you uh, you want to talk about what the fuck? Yeah, you, do I kind
1: of want to talk about like what life was like. So this was summer of 93. Two so I was yeah. going from seventh to eighth grade. So this was the first summer I had like friends. So <laughs> I just right. wanted to give like a quick snapshot of what my average summer day was like. So uh, I was in Stratford, New Hampshire, a very small it was a large square mileage town but yeah. a small population town. so I would have to get on my bike I would like like around 10 or 11 o'clock I would wake up i get on my bike and I would ride four miles to the dam and I lived in Stratford's Lake town. We have a lake called Bow Lake and uh we all would kind of congregate there um so it was me and my other like you know say five other friends would all, would all meet up there yeah and uh and then there were two general stores in town it was a store called thorns and a store called Eisenglass. and then we would you know just basically one store had pizza one store had better chip selection so depending on what we wanted you know i would go and pick up like a bag of like cool ranch doritos a bag of like those uh, uh hot fries. Yeah, you ever have those like caps hot fries? I have, yeah. And then we would get um like Big Slam, which is like a liter bottle of Pepsi. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and then we would that would be like our lunch. And we would then drive to my friend's house about a mile away from there. And right. we'd play wiffle ball. He had the best wiffle ball field. So we'd play wiffle ball home run derby for like three or four hours. And we'd all go back to the lake. We all go swimming you know, maybe there'd be a cute girl there. We all, you know, like no one would wear the balls to talk to her, no. but we all, you know, stare at her like, creepily from afar. <laughs> and then we go back and play more home run derby. And then I would uh, probably call my parents with a payphone, no cell phones. And my, my, my dad or my mom would come pick me up, throw the bike in the back of the truck. And then uh, I would ride back. And that was, and I would like probably then listen to the Red Sox game in the radio. that Yeah. Day. And it was awesome. It was, uh, those three summers before I got my, when I got my license, everything changed. If you live in New Hampshire, or anywhere rural, the second you get your license, you really have freedom. Everything totally. kind of shifts. Yeah, but until you get your driver's license, um, you are at the mercy of, of everything because you're, everything's so spread out. But those three summers there, um, you know, going into seventh, going to seventh grade or whatever, eighth, eighth grade, ninth, tenth, yeah, ninth and tenth, um, especially those first two, because the second one by then some kids had their license nice. items, that a lot of my friends did. But those first two, man. It was very much like a movie. Actually, we're covering next. We're going next week. We're doing Sandlot, and we're doing um uh. let see the movie we're doing. It's um oh. Oh, uh, uh, Indecent Proposal. Right. We're going to 1993. We're going only a year ahead. We're gonna do Sandlot, Indecent Proposal. But Sandlot was like my life. Like we'd all meet up, we'd all play baseball, and then we would just like just shoot the shit and. None of the games are too dramatic. None of it really mattered who won or who lost. I mean, we, but it was more just about like busting balls and hanging out with like friends that I still had like in my wedding party like yeah. I, that are, are st- I'm still really close to. And um, it was like a really fun like time of my life. Like those summers, those winters were brutal because you couldn't ride your bike anywhere in your second home. But man, those summers, every day you wake up, you play football for you know eight hours a day, and then you go and listen to baseball at night. Like for me, in that time in my life, there was nothing better.
0: Oh, that's badass. I lived for going outside and playing uh, a sport, whether it was football or, or wiffle ball or something, playing home run derby. I lived for that. And you, th- you kind of think like it's going to last forever. You kind of think like you're just going to keep doing that for a while, but then it ends i honestly think it was so much fun that i didn't really think past like that
1: day and i am very much that person i would always think yeah. past that day but i it, the summers for those summers of my life when I'm you know 13 14 15 were so much fun that you just you you just kind of live for the day like, yeah. like probably like i never will again maybe i don't know i i try to do a better job of that now but it's hard, tough to get to do that i'm better at it now than i was when i was like 25 say but I don't know if I'll ever be as good as it was when I was twelve or thirteen.
0: I imagine at some point, like I'm kind of done my creative. Maybe I'll do creative projects, but I'm slowing down. It's my last, you know, third of life or something, or you know, last twenty years of my life or something. That I would go somewhere where I could have the same, where I would surf every day, yeah, uh, every day that was nice, and like you know, do a a. a more leisurely creative project, and that would that would just kind of be my existence, and I could get into that pattern of of doing something that I loved and that was fun every day. I want I want to go back to baseball, you know, when I'm 13 years old. Basically, that's I want to have those days again.
1: Like I have, you know, this is the first. So I'm I'm I've been laid off, and I'm just kind of like, eh, like what do I do, kind of thing. Yeah. So this is the first summer I've had off since I was that age. Oh, right. I, I started, I got a job right when I was 16. I had my license and everything, and and uh, I started working right away. So it is it, it it's, but it's it's not it's different when you're 40 than when you're 14 Totally, and, and you're like, it's a lot less peaceful. It's a lot less fun. Uh, having said that though, there's always that nostalgia element. So like you look back, you remember the good times, but I'm sure there were weeks where it rained every day where I was trapped in the house and I'm just like, staring at my baseball encyclopedia, like just sure. like, going mad. Yeah. So I'm sure that happened. I don't remember those days cause that's just how memory works. But, yeah. um, you know, now I feel like very much like, uh, you know, I try, I'm trying to do more and more projects. I'm trying to get more and more comfortable with not having a job to go to every day. And it's nice. I'm lucky where I don't have the pressure of having to necessarily have a job right away, but it's a question of now like, all right, well then what does this mean? And I, and all those questions, those large questions I didn't have when I was 13. No, was basically you didn't. just like, Oh, the weather's nice. I will play with all my friends and we'll right. go, maybe we'll see a hot girl at the lake and, and then we'll eat, you know, uh, pizza and I'll have, you know, I'll watch the Red Surprise. Sox and have diarrhea tonight. <laughs>
0: That was my life for for three summers. Sounds peaceful. Yeah, that that sounds peaceful. Um, Cool. Well, shall we move on to uh, headlines? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. The first one's kind of a, I'm surprised you didn't find shit. You said it was hard to find stuff. I found four right the fuck away. Look at the big brain. Yeah, Yeah, look at the big brain. I'm at Uh, this first one isn't, isn't very pleasant, but the LA police chief, Daryl Gates resigned um, on the 28th in 1992. He was basically forced to resign after the 1992 LA riots that happened in April and May. Of course, um, that was after the beating of Rodney King. I, I, that is so vivid in my mind. I don't know if it's vivid in yours, but, but footage of, of Rodney King, you know, basically getting beat of down. Of course, by it, was a, it was a pretty big but deal. It was a big uh, deal. Uh, there was a, there was a Gates video game that came out a couple of years after he had been thrown, like he
1: endorsed a video game. Like a John it wasn't football, but it was like a, a game that had to do with like being a police. uh. You know, I believe his name was that we can, we can look that up after, but I believe there's a video game with him on
0: it. If you find it, tweet it out because I'd i fucking love to see what that is. But he was known as you know as a staunch believer in aggressive police tactics, you know, brutal, militaristic. Gone were the days of, you know, neighborhood on the beat cops. He really ushered in um, you know, kind of a new paramilitary way of doing things, and that fucking blew up in his face. Uh you you had tensions uh, boil over in LA and there was looting and all sorts of protests. It was, it was rough. He had to, he had to resign. So he's gone. Um, Dennis Eckersley uh, (laughs) records his 26 straight save in a row on the 29th. Wow. So that was
1: the record at the time. It It was broken by Tom Gordon in in 98. Um, But yeah, uh, as far as consecutive saves, I believe he broke Doug Jones record from uh, 89 or
0: 88 rather. You know better Uh, than me. Was that? You would know better than me. I, I'm not sure, but... Uh, I know better than everybody.
1: Um, I'll put, I'll put my I'll put <laughs> my <laughs> testicles right on the table and <laughs> say okay. that. I heard the thumb. Uh Yeah, but no, Eck was obviously... I mean, uh, his that year he had in... Uh, was it 92? It was this year 92? He won, um, he he won the inside? MVP. Yeah, yeah, this was MVP, best. right? This was, this was one of the best years ever for a leader.
0: Right, particularly because I don't... I mean, it certainly wasn't the same then as it is now where you come out, you know... These the closer only comes out when it's when it's save time now basically. Was it the same?
1: No, well, not exactly not at the same. 92. So he definitely pitched a little bit more. Yeah. But it was not like Goose Gossage where the guys come in, you know, Goose Gossage come in like with, you know, one out of no. seven no, 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 and no, 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 So, you know, Tony Rusas was really the forefather of a, a relief or your closer comes out in the night. Sure. Now, yeah. it's nothing like today where the guy is artificially done, you know. Right. You know, but uh, yeah, Eckersley was mostly a ninth inning guy who come out of the eighth inning once in a while. Nowadays, you just never see closers, Never. The eighth, almost ever. No. But, you know, but it's not like, you know, Ken to or Goose Gotch spark Sparkfield, Iowa, and those guys are coming in the seventh, sixth inning sometimes, right. you know. Yeah, you're it right. happen.
0: Yeah. Um, so good for Eck. Uh, seems like a really nice guy. Never met him, but seems like a nice guy. The first payback. back. If, if you ever see Eck, ask him about Rick Manning. Say, so how's Rick Manning doing? Didn't he, did he, oh, cause Rick, uh, Rick slept with his wife or something, right? Rick stole his, yeah, stole his yeah. wife, yeah. But he, he yeah. I think, didn't that kind of get over it? He's talked about it. He's Is like, he did? Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, he's I moved on. I kind of mean, mean, you shouldn't,
0: you shouldn't. I'm never that. going to say that guy guy. He's honest
1: about it too, but yeah, uh, yeah, it's a fucked up story, right? Well, cause, Ek, cause X said, even we best he, friends,
0: but right. But Eck was like, I wasn't a good man at that time. He was an alcoholic then. I don't think, yeah. I think he had a bunch of shit going on and he kind of, I've, I think I've seen him talk about this he where has, he's been like, yeah. you know, I wasn't. I was not the best guy right then, so you know I don't blame. I
1: still him. say Eck wins that one over Rick
0: Manning. No, don't well, of course he does. best friend's wife? What the uh, fuck? Yeah, you don't do that. That's no. fucked up. You know you don't do that. Uh, okay, so the first pay bathrooms in the United States opened, opened in New York City, twenty-five cents per pee. Yeah, You know, so a couple of times
1: I'm I'm moving to New York, you know, 2012, 2016, I got those crazy diarrhea pains. You got, you got the poop, got the, got the noises coming again. And, uh, one time I really had to go and I was right near Madison square park, which if you know, that is, it's, it's, um, a little bit North of Union square area. And, um, uh, the bathroom, of course, was yeah, how they were at that time in New York. They were timed because what happened was oh. when they actually put them in, the bombs would be in there. Can I say bomb? Oh, for a second, yeah, yeah the bombs would be in there. If like, You put a quarter, they like, stay in there all day. And uh, but by the time I got there, you know, they, the New York, you know, technology had moved ahead, so
0: now they I sensor, You don't only could be in there for like ten minutes. Or what would you know, it the do it when that went up? Would it like spray you with like a mist or something? What would happen? I think if you went there on the door would open, which would be, oh, you know, yeah. That's...
1: but, I, but I, it, was, it was maybe just more like than 10 minutes. So it wasn't too much longer. It was definitely like, you know, do your business and get out. Yeah. And, uh, but of course the one time I really had to use one, the one time I was desperate enough to use one, it was taken.
0: I was like, fuck. Oh.
1: But there was, a, at the time, there was a coffee shop, uh, it, uh, right in that area, and I and I they let me use the bathroom. I, I bought a coke, whatever, and they let me use the bathroom there. Thank God. I Do yeah. like, remember the one time i like I was like I actually have to use this thing. Oh my god, I, you know I was you know I had the real poop pains, and uh, of course <laughs> it's, it's it's booked,
0: and I was like fuck. Yeah. Okay. Uh, July fourth. <laughs> you like you like to go? I mean, every couple episodes you like to talk about. Yeah. Right. All right. Yeah. Yeah. This is how we get the ladies on the podcast. Good job. Um, July 4th, uh, Steffi Graf beats Monica Sellis to win Wimbledon. It's her fourth of seven. I guess Graf gave it a really good stab. That's um, that's a bad joke because we all know (laughs) that uh, poor Monica Sellis got stabbed in the back by a stalk right by a stalker is that by what a it was stalker oh, yeah It was a crazy yeah, it was crazy, it was crazy. crazy. Happened, yeah. i remember her she was a gr- she was the grunter she would grunt when she when she yeah played. yeah but she's a it's very cute very t- well yeah but she was very talented too yeah, i mean she steffi was right? a yeah. sheet. We're aware you're woke yes <laughs> whatever a <laughs> <Graf was> <laughs> no no sheet. you're right no i mean you're, you're, i
1: mean, all kidding aside these are two two probably i think the top best, two at that time
0: yeah yeah steffi was just completely dominant she was like the she you know she's kind of she was like she was top of the game. She was Sampras at that time, basically.
1: But can you imagine being like, like you're just playing, and all of a sudden, some guy runs out and stabs you in the back? Like, no, that's bullshit. Up? That's fucking crazy. It's fucking bullshit.
0: Yeah. Imagine that happened like baseball, where they jumped out and they stabbed Mike Greenwell in the back. You know, he's playing left <laughs> field on What the fuck? I saw you with your Mike uh, Mike Greenwell takes earlier this week. He was a phenomenal player. Whatever that year that he won, did he 88. win? Eighty-eight. It was eighty-eight. Yeah, he had a fun second MVP voting. He was one of my. He was one of my. Uh, one of my favorite players at that time. He, his first few years,
1: 86, 80, 86, He only played a couple of games, but 87, 88, 89 Even so good. He he was he was a, one of the better. he was overshadowed by Wade Bosch, one of oh, the totally. better contact yeah. hitters, absolutely. And he also played in a very like low offense era. Yeah. So his numbers don't look as dramatic. If he had been, if he was born ten years later, he would have been like a thirty home run guy. Right. But but you know because of the time he played, you don't see that. But uh, you know ninety two. You know when I'm this kid driving around. You know, meet my friends, you know, Mike Greenwell was the left fielder of the Red Sox. He was the left field of the Red Sox from uh eighty seven till ninety-six, right?
0: I think so. it was, yeah, it was something like that, close to ten years. Do you see him later yeah. in life? He went into racing for a while and then was like an yeah. alligator wrangler or some something weird. I wonder how he's doing now. He's a big he was a Florida, like like big yeah. like Florida man. Yeah. That's Mike Greenwell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was one of my favorites at that time. So I that's it for news. That's pretty good. That's good
1: headlines. Um, so we're back. Actually, we're back next week. And, and get this: so we're going to do uh, Sandlot, and then we're going to do uh, Proposal. Indeed proposal, and then there's a, 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 another movie in that top ten that we 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 just felt committed to. Do. So we're actually going to stick around that week for another another date. We'll talk about that movie at uh, the yeah. following week. But yeah, there's a there's a third movie of that week we're going to do that is a heavy hitter. It's
0: a I'll heavy hitter. We're excited about it. Um. All right. Anything all right. else? The Sandlot on Wednesday. Uh, and thank you to the Pop Culture Show. Give them a lesson. Yep. See you soon.